You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today is Twitter Tuesday, which means I'm taking your questions from Twitter, from email, Discord, everywhere. And it is a fat one. So uh, there's a lot of questions to get to. So there's one quick little news thing I want to talk to you about, and then we will get into as many questions as we can get to. But first, lovely uh, Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune gave us a little bit of clarification on the Anthony Barr restructure, the terms of the restructure, and it actually saves more cap space than we thought. He actually reduced his base salary all the way to the minimum salary of like $1.25 million or whatever it is, and uh, converted all of that to signing bonus. So I don't think he actually sacrificed any cash flow. Um, and then he, of course, avoided all the next years. There actually is a question in the mail to, in the mailbag. I'm going to skip right to it. That comes from Nick Howe who says, can you explain to the best of your abilities why the voidable years on a contract count against the caps? Am I missing something with this? So you can think of voidable years on a contract as a plan to cut that player in the middle of the contract with no guaranteed money on it. I think the Taysom Hill con- uh, contract is, is a really good example of this. So he basically converted all of his salary to signing bonus, like we've seen with all the restructures, like they did with like Daniel Hunter and Eric Hendricks last year. We know about those, um, but Taysom Hill was on the last year of his deal. So there's no extra years to spread out that cap hit into. So they basically put a bunch of phony years on it. So they say, we're going to extend you to a three year, $0 deal and extend a signing bonus into all of that. And so when you cut him at the end of that, it would be the same thing as if you did the, the Taysom Hill contract where there actually is money. It's just all ungainable guaranteed and very clearly funny money um and then you know if they cut him next year like it seems like they intend to and they're definitely giving themselves the option to then they just take the rest of that signing bonus as a dead cap hit so like with the anthony Barr contract his cap hit goes down to about six million this year so the vikings have closer to 10 million in cap space which recolors a lot of the uh things that i was complaining about earlier in the week and last week the reports are still that they're behaving as though the cap is tight so they probably have some plans some of that money earmarked for stuff and we just don't know what it is yet um and it's still kind of a holding pattern but it does make it interesting that you know they did have the money they could have paid anthony harris they chose not to uh somebody a lot of people actually with that anthony harris situation because i tweeted something like that and a lot of people were like well maybe anthony harris didn't want to come back they were in negotiations for like weeks like they were talking a lot and it, it they just didn't come to a deal and that implies pretty heavily that it was about price point it almost always is about price point unless you hear otherwise but as quickly as i can that is how void year voidable years work Think of them as fake years that you're just extending signing bonus out through. Um, but once that player's contract expires, it's like getting cut, you know, two years into a five-year deal and signing bonus accelerates like it would in, in a normal cut, like it did for Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph last year and even Stefan Diggs when he got traded. So diving into the mailbag, first one comes from Joel Erickson, who says, why is their interest in Orlando Brown Jr. when they've been passing on less egregious scheme mismatches for years? And why do they seem insistent on keeping Cleveland at guard? So last 
latter one first. Um, I don't know if they're insistent on it. I think they are leaving it open a little bit more than I would like them to, but I do believe that like, if they had gotten a good right guard and moved him to tackle, I think they probably would have done that. I don't think that they are super married and locked into keeping Cleveland at guard. Uh, it just seems like there are better opportunities this offseason to get tackles than there are to get guards, which is going to put Ezra Cleveland at guard, and I kind of wish they were a little bit more open to going against that grain, and you probably agree with me on that, but I, I don't think that they've made that decision quite yet. It just seems like the pools of available talent are pushing them that way. As for the first question, why is there interest in Orlando Brown when he's a mismatch? Um, I don't think he's that bad of a scheme mismatch. His athleticism looks really bad. If you look him up on Mock Draftable, his combine was atrocious. Like, he really, really tanked the combine. But on the field, he's very clearly more athletic than that combine suggests. And I think he just, like messed up on the weekend. I don't think he prepped for it right, and I think there's some concern like within that itself, uh, but I don't think that he is like this terrible athlete that's not a zone scheme fit. I think he can do fine in his own scheme. It's not his strength. Like He's much better in a power scheme, and, and if the Vikings aren't asking him to pick guys up and maul them and move them like a power scheme would, that might be a little bit inefficient. It doesn't quite make the best use of his best talents, uh, but I think in terms of what you would ask him to do, I think he can execute those ideas just fine, and it's a matter of price point and a matter of, you know, does he have motor issues or preparation issues? And, you know, you got to look into that. And I think that's why he fell in the third round, because his that combine was really concerning. Nate Walton asked a question that got answered today in a uh, press conference. He, he asked, he said he's hearing rumors about Patrick Peterson being asked to move to safety. Do you think it's a good move? Um, so he's not moving to safety. He said that in a press conference, he's going to play cornerback. Um, and that brings me to the next question, which comes from Easy Cheese Wizard, who asks from watching P2's film from last year, it seems like he's getting burned pretty bad on a ton of his coverages, but at the same time, he was shadowing DK slash dig slash McLaurin slash insert generational wide receiver one here. Do you see P2 making an Xavier Rhodes style recovery in a new defense? So it's great that y'all ask these questions about Patrick Peterson and his scheme. I got an article coming out. Should be out by the time you're listening to this, uh, unless you are one of the European folks who listens to it when it's like 3 a.m. here in America. But uh, I wrote a big article about Patrick Peterson and kind of the scheme that I think he lends itself to, and it seems like every time I ask this question of a new Vikings acquisition, the answer ends up being match quarters. And a couple other people uh, came up with this before me, Spencer Thompson, who's a listener, um, I think Tim Brown, uh, who is also a mutual with me on Twitter, uh, talked about it a little bit. But basically, the idea is to use uh, match concepts and uh, dialing in coverages in a very custom way, so you can only ever ask corners to do what they're good at. This is what the Vikings did for years and years and years with Trey Waynes, so it's definitely not a new concept, but quarters is, uh, I think, the 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 wave to coming out of Alabama. This is the Nick Saban thing. They brought in Carl Scott, and I talked about it a little bit. He's not going to quite be as protected as Xavier Rhodes was. I don't think you have to quite yet. Um, the biggest problem with him is when he would get dragged into the slot. So they would ask him to shadow and he would shadow receivers like Diggs and DK Metcalf and those receivers can play in the slot. So the offensive coordinators will go, oh my goodness, we have Patrick Peterson, we can just move him into the slot and he's going to fall apart. And that, that some of his worst plays came that way. There were a couple other plays where you know his, his lack of acceleration got exploited a little bit. I did a really comprehensive look at some of his worst moments and kind of cherry picked the worst moments and analyzed those to see how do you cover up these deficiencies and you know what kind of scheme works there. Um, and there are some, I would call them mo more modern coverages that the Vikings have sprinkled in here and there and might, and it kind of looks like they're trying to dial that up a little bit more, but easy cheese wizard. Uh, I think you're right. I don't think you should ask, uh, 
Patrick Peterson to shadow, and I hope the Vikings don't ask him to shadow. If they ask anybody to shadow, it might be Cameron Dantzler, and they kind of flirted with that a little bit going into last year. They left him on an island a lot more near the tail end of last year, and we'll see what kind of camp he has and all that stuff. We'll see how that progresses, Um, but I think Patrick Peterson might be closer to a Trey Wayne's role, where he does his job, and he's given a job. He might even be given an entire sideline to defend in like a pretty difficult job, but he won't be on man everywhere he goes. He won't be in meg coverage um, where he just has to deal with everything. And I think specifically he struggled more with in-breaking routes and kind of overcommitting to outside leverage and, and funneling those things inside. And then the help wasn't there. And then a lot of big plays happened that way. You know, Arizona asked him to be Superman and the Vikings just need to ask him to be like a pretty good man. <laughs> Switching gears for a second. March Madness is well underway. How are y'all's brackets doing? Probably better than mine. I had Illinois and Ohio State in the Final Four playing each other, so that's rough for me. So I got to turn to gambling, and if you are with me, you got to uh, turn to gambling to have any stake in these games because all your teams are beaten. Uh, get on over to Bet Online. They've got all your news, scores, and odds. You can bet on the Oscars and stuff, whatever you want. You can sign up for free on your mobile or your computer. Making an account is free. You just have to uh, put in your first deposit of money to actually gamble with. And when you do that, you can enter promo code locked on and it'll give you a 50% welcome bonus. That's matching your money 50%. So for every $100 you put in as part of your first deposit, you get an extra 50 to play with all for free, all in the house. If you enter promo code code locked on at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts get more of the sports news you need in less time with the locked on today podcast follow the locked on today podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts let's move on to the next question which comes from eli really interesting question from eli asked why do we seem to understand football better than the vikings a lot of the time i don't mean that in an arrogant way it just seems like fans can always point out moves that will blow up that the organization doesn't see coming um there's a lot of answers to this one the power of groups is very powerful, right? There are thousands and thousands of Vikings fans. What ends up being consensus there might have a more powerful effect even after you adjust for the greater amount of knowledge that the Vikings themselves have. You you actually see this play out when uh, Arif Hassan does all his consensus big board stuff. The consensus board beats a lot of NFL teams. Sometimes the information that teams have access to can betray them, and they're working with different bases of information, but sometimes they'll have so much information and they might misread it. If they have speed data we don't have access to and then overvalue that data, it's an understandable mistake, um, and it's one that we just kind of lucked into being right there, and they ended up, you know, being betrayed by data that only teams have access to. But I think a big one is that I don't think we are as often as we think more right than the Vikings. I think it's just easier to remember when we are. You know, when the whole world says draft Michael Thomas over Laquan Treadwell, not the whole world, about half of the the world said draft Michael Thomas, half the world said Laquan Treadwell, but a bunch of people who said draft Michael Thomas over Treadwell and the Vikings don't do that and then they get burned and Michael Thomas is a superstar, it, it kind of feels like, hey, wait, I shouldn't be the one that's right about this. I've said that on this show for sure too. But how often are there situations like that and how often are there situations like last year, I was really high on Christian Fulton. I liked him more than, say, Jalen Johnson or A.J. Terrell. That looks like a terrible take, but it's a lot easier for me. And the Vikings were way out on Christian Fulton, too. Like, he wasn't even, like, part of their consideration. I think they were way lower on him than all the other teams. There was no chance they were going to draft him. And I thought that was kind of dumb, and it turns out they were probably going to be more right about that than me. But it's way harder to remember those situations than the ones where things turn out poorly. I also think that sometimes, you know, teams take more calculated risks and they do see that it could possibly blow up in their face, but like do it anyways, because the reward at the end of it is you know possibly worth it. Um, and again, we only find out the order that things happen, not the order that, that things were decided. We just 
like know the order that they officialized or the order that a reporter happened to find them out. So sometimes the actual intentions and plan A of the team is difficult to figure out. You know, that their plan A was to get Carl Lawson not Dalvin Tomlinson. And so their actual free agency plan might look a lot different or like what their ideal free agency would have been might have looked closer to what our ideal free agency would have been, but it didn't work out that way because Carl Lawson took a different deal and Trey Hendrickson took a different deal. And then they went with Dalvin Tomlinson, who was their next guy. Patrick Peterson called them out of the blue. Patrick Peterson was not part of their plans. And Mike Zimmer, of course, got really excited because he's a good corner and Patrick Peterson wanted to work with Zimmer and it got worked out. And over the course of the day, you know, the deal was done. Uh, maybe they wanted to go splurge on Joe Thune, but that contract ended up being a lot bigger than they were anticipating, and they had to adjust their plans from there. So what actually happens might be plan E, and it's really difficult for us to say that we were smarter than them when we came up with a plan A that might be, you know, the same plan A that they had. I I think that's why I do my mock drafts the way that I do them, where, you know, yesterday's mock draft Monday, I did not love that mock draft. I think I did bad on the trades. I think there are a couple of picks I wish I could take back and stuff, but I'm still going to put it out there and talk about it because I think that's a better simulation. I don't think every team walks away from the draft going, I got all the players that were really high for me and I love it. I mean, they'll tell you that in the press, but sometimes they go, man, we missed out on the guy we liked and we had to kind of take this consolation prize we're not even that excited about. Sometimes that happens. It's the way the league works. Joe Talent asked, well, you can tell how long these have been like sitting in the queue because this is old stuff. Joe Talent asks to was Dak worth 40 for zero playoff wins and zero Super Bowls? Um, I say yes. I think he's a very good quarterback that's been held back by mostly pretty bad coaching uh, and also some pretty bad injury luck over on those Cowboys defenses. Um, yes, I, I think. And also, I, I think that that cap hit's going to age really, really, really well as the cap explodes with the new TV deal and stuff. Second question was Hunter wants top dollar. Can you explain why he thinks this? Would you pay big money for a player returning from a neck injury? Um, so I I totally get being apprehensive about the neck injury. Personally, I would risk it because Daniil Hunter is just that important. And without him, like your pass rush is just nothing at all. Because now you've gone and gotten two defensive tackles and Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson, who pass rushing isn't exactly their strength. Although they're better at it than I think people have been giving them credit for. They're not Jamar Stefan, where it's just totally useless. I think from Hunter's perspective, he's already earned that money, right? And he said, like, listen, I've been underpaid for two or three years and I've wanted to redo my deal. This injury is a temporary thing. And and what I don't know is how his rehab is going, right? Once the the Vikings get satisfactory information about, oh, yeah, his rehab's going great. He's going to be back. It's all going to be fine. Or are they going, oh, yeah, we don't know. This neck injury isn't going away the way we thought. It might be a longer sustaining thing. It might linger. It might be weird. Then maybe they shouldn't. Um, But that's just information we don't have access to. But it probably should depend on that, right? Uh, Nick B says, I'm I'm a big fan of drafting possible Kirk Cousins successor within the first three rounds of the draft. I know that shouldn't necessarily deter them from drafting one, but I'm concerned that the the revolving door at OC would stunt the development of a young quarterback. Would you have the same concerns? Um, No, not necessarily. Uh, Usually revolving door at OC always implies like different terminologies and different schemes and different plays, and you're learning everything from scratch day one. The difference between Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak was pretty low. The difference between Gary Kubiak and Clint Kubiak is probably also going to be pretty low. I wouldn't say first year with a new offensive coordinator was like an excuse for any offensive problems in 2020. Probably shouldn't say that it will be one for 2021 either. Um, And also, I I think I agree with you of just take stabs at quarterback always, no matter what. So I don't think it should be a deterrent, even if that were more true. Jeff Mersch asks, so do any of these free agency moves spell anything for last year's draft? Is Troy Dye the heir apparent to Barra Wilson? Troy Dye had a really bad season in in 2020. I would be really surprised if they saw what he did on the field and said, yep, that guy can be Anthony Barr. Um, But Anthony Barr is now slated to become a free agent next year, so maybe they don't have much of a choice. I think the free agency moves 
spell a little bit more for uh, for Ezra Cleveland and how they really expect him to be a starter either at tackle or guard and the fact that they haven't like panic splurged on one of well they tried to go get Thuni and Zeitler and maybe Zeitler um but the fact that they haven't gotten any of them yet kind of means that they're comfortable with Ezra Cleveland taking either one of those positions and it seems like they're behaving like a team that only feels like they have two two offensive line positions to fill in not three uh, but th- that's really it about the the rookies. I mean, Justin Jefferson is obvious. Jeff Gladney is not going to be challenged at all. Um, and Cameron Dantzler obviously is uh, going to be a starter as well. Everybody else's depth. Purple Yeti says, is it possible for the Vikings to sign JC Jackson? He's on a second round tender. Or would they have to acquire a second round pick to do it? Not likely. Plus, New England will probably match any offer. Just curious. Um, so, yes, they would have to get a second round pick to match a second round tender. They would have to like trade up one of their thirds and a fourth or something like that to make it work. Um, and I don't think, I think this was asked before they signed Patrick Peterson. So obviously not now, but I still don't think that paying a second rounder for JC Jackson is the most efficient option out there. I, I actually think signing Patrick Peterson for 8 million plus incentives is, is a better option, but sometimes all those options can get overwhelming. Just like when you're trying to get parts for your car, there's so many brands and options. And is it compatible with my car and all this stuff to sort through And rock auto has you covered just enter your year, your make your model and there's they'll sort through all of that nonsense for you make sure you're getting a part that is compatible with your car plus they don't give you a separate price as a retail customer versus their wholesale buyer so you stand to save a buck at rockauto.com and if you do buy something from rock auto make sure you let them know in the how you heard about a section that locked on sent you because if you don't i'm gonna have to change my linkedin profile to influencer Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's also Built Madness. Uh, It is lemon almond cheesecake today versus chocolate brownie chunk. If you uh, think one of those flavors is better than the other, head on over to BuiltBar.com, cast your vote. You can also do it, uh, see all the information you need at bar underscore built on Twitter. Personally, I think lemon almond cheesecake has had its run. It's like the Oral Roberts of this. It's, you know, it's a 15 seed. It scored some upsets. It had a great run. It, It can be proud of itself, but it's time for the real teams to take over in chocolate brownie chunk. That is a uh, that's a ringer so if you agree with me disagree with me make sure you go over to builtbar.com or bar underscore built on twitter and vote if you want to buy some for yourself try all the flavors out you can enter promo code locked on 15 that's locked on one five all one word get 15 percent off of your next order at builtbar.com now that we are inching closer to true earnest draft season it's time to follow our locked on nfl draft duo the first show is the draft dudes podcast they watch every prospect so you don't have to and the locked on nfl draft podcast is your daily news and mock draft podcast follow locked on nfl draft and draft dudes on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts so let's clear out the rest of this mailbag we're making good time here the next one comes from moist mudball rider who says what stops teams from having two nose type defensive tackles like pierce in the middle every snap i feel like kendrick's and wilson slash die would absolutely feast under those circumstances uh and he also said reposting a question i sent you last year so i wrote this article as well i'll link all the articles here in the show notes because i'm just plugging myself left and right uh this Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce idea, the Giants did it with Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson. The, the Ravens did it a few years ago as well. Uh, teams do it all the time. The downside is that obviously these guys are more run defenders and they're not exactly quarterback chase types and they're not really quick get around a guy types. And so when it comes to the pass rush, all they can really do is collapse the pocket and try to set somebody else up for success. So they won't have gaudy pass rush stats. And sometimes you want that from an interior pass rush. I mean, as Vikings fans, we're pretty familiar with the effects of an interior of interior pressure right? So there's 
pros and cons to that. And plus, you know, these big giant guys, you know, Michael Pierce cannot be in every play. He'll get gassed. So he has to rotate out on third and long kind of kinds of situations and stuff like that. So it gets a little bit awkward. Um, but yes, you are onto something that a lot of defensive coordinators, I bet if you asked Brandon Staley or Patrick Graham or Mike Zimmer that question, they would say, oh yeah, we'd love to do that. That's actually a good thing that we like to do and is even worth the costs. Jeff says, do you think we may have opted for Weatherly over Odenabo to use on third downs as our three tech, then to move uh, Tomlinson to nose and take Pierce off the field? Uh, still seems likely that we have to address t- uh, edge in a trade slash draft. And from memory, I felt like Weatherly was much more effective inside as a rusher than Odenabo. Um, I think you nailed it. Yeah, I, I think that's why they did that. And I don't really love that because I think more uh, kind of every down uh, help is better than just being specifically better in like one situation, even if that's the situation you need the most help in. I think Tomlinson, I mean, the, the Giants only had Tomlinson on the field for like 10% of third and six plus situations. So they took him off the field. I think there's a decent chance you see both of them exit the field, uh, kind of like Shamar Stefan and Jaleel Johnson would on third and long situations. And then you'd have like the all edge rusher Hercules Mata'afa in there and Steven Weatherly and then your regular edge rushers whoever they end up being as your like third and long package. Stizo says what traits make for a good free safety in a Zimmer scheme? Do we have a corner on the roster that could credibly change position and to become the Harris replacement? Probably not. Uh, we we know Patrick Peterson's not going to be that. I don't think Gladney or Dantzler make sense there. Harrison Hand, there was some talk about him moving to safety. Um, I, he actually played a lot of outside corner in when he had to come in in 2020, and so I think he might just be kind of Chris Boyd competition that can also move in the slot. In terms of what makes a good safety in a Zimmer scheme, versatility is huge because the Vikings basically want to be able to fake that the other guy is doing what Harrison Smith does. That's a big part of how they mess with quarterbacks is they will have uh, Harrison and Smith go down into the box and the other guy looks like he's going to play free safety and then they want to be able to roll that coverage so that Harrison Smith plays free safety and the other safety, Sandejo Harris, whoever it is, comes down into the box and actually does that and it totally screws up everybody's protection and play call and it screws up the coverage and everything and it messes with with everybody's calls. Um, And you have to be able to do that if you want to do it the other way where if you want Harrison Smith in the box and you want the other guy playing free safety like Anthony Harris playing free safety, they have to be credible box safeties at least good enough at it to convince the quarterback that it is a real life option that could happen. Um, So you need to be able to kind of do all of those things. Now, what skills to prioritize? I think uh, jumping the ball in zone coverage, and I think matching man coverage out of the slot, that other safety ends up being a slot corner a lot of the time against like a tight end or something. If they come out in say 12 personnel, but split one of those guys out into the slot and you don't want to ask your linebacker to do it because of what the front is or whatever, you will often have a safety end up needing to play man coverage on a tight end or whatever, but out of the slot. And so they need to be able to do that just because sometimes offenses get you in that situation. You need to be able to answer that call. And I think that's, what's important. Obviously run support is huge for safeties. Chase Palm asks from the assessment I've seen so far, it seems the broader NFL media thinks the Vikings have gotten worse this offseason compared to their peers. What is your personal opinion on the Vikings' improvement or regression thus far this offseason? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is going to be, this is the red pill you can't untake. Most broad national media takes on how a team's offseason is going is basically a mirror of how they did last year. If you went 7-9 and nine last year, you had a bad offseason. If you went 5-10, and ten, you're, you're, if you went you know 5-11, and 11, you're stuck in the throes of, of mediocrity. If you were a playoff team, you had a good offseason and you're trying to build a contender next year. Uh, unless you have something crazy like the 2014 San Francisco offseason where they lost every player at once, or if it's like kind of the outliers like the Patriots being the big spenders or the Giants or whatever, um, and, and then that's your narrative, it's pretty much just whatever happened to you 
value last year. Personally, the Vikings have clearly gotten better, right? The criticisms are about did they pay too much to do so, and did they do so at the cost of not getting better in more important areas, right? They got Dalvin Tomlinson. That helps tremendously. They were super soft on the inside, and now they won't be. That was a huge problem that they needed to solve, and they needed a cornerback like nobody's business. They were one Mike Hughes didn't heal right away from Chris Boyd starting unchallenged, right? They needed a corner, and now they aren't so priced into it into the draft. Those are things that needed to happen, um, but did they pay too much for that, right? So the Vikings have gotten better, right? They've added two players. Those two players are good. The roster is a lot better now, but were they efficient as they could have been? I think that's a more realistic critique, but I think people are just going to be like, ah, the Vikings, they are regressing, because that's kind of always been the argument for the last like five or six years. Chris says, which current Vikings player do you think will be a position coach, a head coach, or a front office manager? Um, ah. Stephen Weatherly has always struck me as the ah, he he more strikes me as the kind of guy that would like go into politics or something after football, not necessarily go into coaching. I think Kirk Cousins could go into coaching if he wanted to. He could go into the booth too if he wanted to because he's just such a weird dude. If Sean Mannion comes back though, he's my answer. The backup quarterback is always the guy. Um, and, and honestly, you know, give some credit to like Jake Browning or Nate Stanley if they can catch on as a backup and be a backup for a few years. You know, and and backup quarterbacks in just about every locker room do very coach like duties, so it gives you a lot of. Tra- Training and you can kind of go the Kellen Moore route. Forrester says the PF podcast, PFF podcast dudes mentioned value free agency signings stretching all the way out post draft into May and June. Why do I get the feeling he's specifically talking about the Vikings? And why is Rick making me F5 for 100 days? Um, well, to the last part of that, it's because he dislikes you personally. You shouldn't have slashed his tires, man. Um, and I, yeah, I think PFF's right. I think this is this free agency is just going to take a long time with there's still a lot of COVID restrictions on when you can visit and who you can talk to and all that stuff. And it's just kind of generally awkward. And there's a lot of, you know, well, I'm waiting on this team and that team is waiting on the other player to get back to him and that other player is waiting for another team to get back to them and there's all these kind of staring contests they're going to take a while to resolve gabrielle greco says in hindsight was it worth spending a first on gladney who's basically going to be a nickel cornerback from now on um if your problem is spending a first on a nickel cornerback i think that that's fine i think slot corners are really really important schematically to just about every coverage shell and you see so much 11 personnel and and so many three wide receiver sets and four wide receiver sets that it's not like they're playing 35% of snaps like in the old days. Don from Ohio asks, before I give you my Vikings questions for your collection, I'd like to know what you do with them after you're done. I'm a big believer of recycling. How do I know that you'll discard my questions without harming the environment? I donate them to Norse Code. They need all the help they can get. Uh, Eric Russell asks, why are the Vikings so good at developing the D-line and so terrible with the O-line? The answer to that is coaching. It's Andre Patterson uh, solely, pretty much, and, you know, who's the offensive line coach? It was Sperano, and then it was Janoko, and then it was Clancy Barone for a while. It was, you know, it's been all these guys. And Buck Wallert, finally asks why do you hate me you know exactly what you did buck you can find me on twitter at luke Braun nfl the show's on twitter at locked on vikings and i'll see you all tomorrow and as always skull